listening to the Night Demon Network. Go to nightdemon.net slash subscriber to unlock more exclusive content. Every weeknight, it's Buzz After Dark. You like that? With Eric Steele. Hang out with me Monday through Friday from 7 to midnight for the Buzz After Dark. It's kind of like the Titanic, except instead of three hours to sink, it takes five hours. Breaks come out at night, that's for sure. The Buzz After Dark. After Dark. All night long. Awesome tunes, clothing optional. Hope you enjoy the ride. Weeknight 7 to midnight on 1029 The Buzz. Bill's Rock Station. Hello and welcome to the Night Demon Heavy Metal Podcast. I'm your host, Nesbitt. This episode, we're going to discuss one of Night Demon's biggest influences, the godfathers of heavy metal, Black Sabbath. This is the Black Friday, Black Sabbath special. So that was Turn Up the Night. It's a Sabbath track as performed by Night Demon. And we're going to get into that track in a bit. But first things first, Black Sabbath. So if you're listening to this podcast and you aren't familiar with Black Sabbath, I don't know what happened to you. Black Sabbath are by far one of the most influential heavy metal bands of all time. And you can argue about the roots of heavy metal or who invented heavy metal. I've heard people say Zeppelin, Amboy, Dukes, Cream, Iron Butterfly, even Hendrix. I've heard uh, Deep Purple mentioned, though I don't really think those early purple records are metal at all. Uh, You can hear Blue Cheer brought up often, but I gotta go with Black Sabbath. They brought it all together on that first album. The sound, the themes, the darkness. Sabbath from post-war industrial Birmingham. And that atmosphere combined with Sabbath's unique take on the blues, and it was really groundbreaking. And in my opinion, that's what kicked off metal as we know it today. But no matter what your opinion is on heavy metal's origins, everyone would agree that Black Sabbath are the most important band in the history of heavy metal. The more I spoke with the guys in Night Demon, the more it hit home that they're all very heavily influenced by Black Sabbath, even from an early age. Here's Armand John Anthony. For me, started really young. I think they were one of the first bands that I discovered um, when I started learning how to play guitar. Um, My cousin had turned me on to Guns N' Roses at a really early age. I think I was about eight years old or something, and he gave me Appetite for Destruction album. And it just completely blew my mind. I hadn't really had ex- been exposed to that like kind of heavy rock and roll metal stuff, you know, from my parents or anything. A lot of people get that from their parents, but I really didn't because they were not really rockers. You know, my dad coming from another country, he was in a lot of foreign music and of course all the pop stuff from the 60s and everything. You know, my mom had Beatles records around and James Taylor records and like stuff like that, like 70s folk stuff, but nothing heavy like Sabbath. So I had to find that on my own. And by getting into stuff like Guns N' Roses and starting to play guitar and reading the magazines and everything, obviously everywhere I looked, everywhere I'd read, everything I read Everybody was mentioning this band Black Sabbath. What what is this band Black Sabbath? So I think I started out um I got paranoid on tape. And that just fucking blew my mind. I mean the first few notes, first ten seconds of War Pigs, 
and the way it starts with the you know the air horn air raid siren thing and then going to that first riff i mean obviously as a as a i don't know it was probably about 12 years old or 13 years old hearing that was just like wow man what is this and then you know everything else on that record i mean it's every song on that record is a banger for me like there's not one bad song on that record at all so i think i just started going from there and i think i got the first album after that and then that even tripped me out because it's a little bit different you know it's a little more bluesy a little more jazzy kind of stuff and i just thought it was really 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 cool here's dusty who had a bit of a different entry point into black sabbath I remember early on seeing the Never Say Die album cover in my parents' record collection and thinking to myself, that's not a very metal cover. And it didn't really make much sense to me because I knew Black Sabbath was a metal band, but I hadn't really ever really dove into what their album covers looked like. Because I think by the time I saw the Never Say Die cover, I must have been uh, around like eight or nine um, I thought it was the coolest band name of all time. It was super metal. My parents were into Sabbath, so it was around growing up. So I got a quick education in what the band was like. Paranoid and Master of Reality were the first two records that I had on tape. Those, to this day, are probably my favorite records by the band. Master Reality is heavier, but Paranoid is well-rounded. You know, songs like Rat Salad and Fairies Wear Boots, Electric Funeral, all super classic songs. They were the first heavy metal band at the time that took it to the level that they did with the crosses, and people thought they were devil worshippers. Really, they were anti-that, and they were anti-establishment they grew up hard in Birmingham and they wanted to get out of that. So I think them being a little more rough around the edges made them kind of scary to people. It was perfect for them for the time that they were coming out. Uh, everybody needed a little shock and Black Sabbath added shock value. And I air drummed Paranoid and Master of Reality so many times just getting into those records and really dissecting them and figuring out what the band was all about. And those two records are a pretty good indication of what the band is all about. Their songwriting was pretty polished at that time, and they were kicking ass. Sold Our Soul for Rock and Roll was the next tape I got my hands on, and that's like a compilation, greatest hits at the time, and that was great for an introduction in the back catalog, and also, you know, stuff that I wasn't really uh, aware of, uh, and quickly became a fan of that record. I thought that was a great idea for them to put that album out when they did. Sabbath has a very dark and evil vibe on those early records, and sometimes that darkness is what can draw you in. Here's Jarvis. My journey of discovering Black Sabbath was actually quite a cool one. Um, I'd gone to a free concert in the park put on by KLOS, um, which is the classic rock station that's been around L.A. forever, as long as I can remember, before I was born, and it's still going. But um, Stephen Stills from Crosby, Stills, Nash was playing a free show in some park and my mom and my stepdad took me because they were fans and you know I wasn't too impressed it was cool to go to a live concert at a young age but uh wasn't my style of music anyway on the way out somebody handed me a pamphlet that had these pentagrams on the cover and a picture of Ozzy Osbourne and I thought it was just the coolest thing I opened it up and it was some kind of Bible thumper Christian thing, kind of warning about the uh, the evils of heavy metal and rock music in general and stuff. Um, it was kind of funny to get it at that concert. But, you know, I went home and I kind of put this thing on my bulletin board in my bedroom and I always looked at it and thought it was cool. And then I remember talking to my dad once because he had always kind of talked about Black Sabbath and stuff, but I just asked him, hey, you know, what do you know about this Ozzy Osbourne? And he's like, oh yeah, he was the singer of Black Sabbath. 
And so, you know, growing up, kind of, you know, what your parents think is cool is not cool to you. So I never checked out Sabbath, even though my dad always talked about them. And obviously going to a Stephen Stills concert, which my parents thought was cool, I definitely did not think was cool. Um, but so anyway, he said, yeah, he's the singer of Sabbath. So that kind of like, I was like, wow, okay. Because I'd, I'd heard a bit about Ozzy when I was going to Christian school, again, that he was the devil and and all this stuff. Um, but upon that, I remember staying at my dad's one weekend and he had gone to bed and I kind of like snuck into the other room and he had all his old LPs next to a record player. And I found the Black Sabbath Paranoid record. And, you know, the cover art didn't really do much for me. When I opened up the gatefold and saw the four of those guys, that black and white picture, and they're kind of standing in this field. Actually, I think Ozzy... I can't remember if he's the only one standing. I think some of them may be sitting down. Um, I may be wrong about this, but I don't have it in front of me as a reference. But um, I remember trying to be really quiet because my parents were sleeping. And um, I thought that was so cool. They had the crosses hanging around their neck and stuff. And so I put the LP on and holy shit, (laughs) this thing just totally floored me. And I just started playing guitar so I was just really into it. I was way, way into it. And War Pigs, the first track, when I heard those sirens, it and that music kicked in. I was just, I was, I, I was immediately enamored by this, especially with the kind of satanic undertones. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't think there's so much of that on the record, but the music sounded evil enough, and with what was already drilled in my head. That's kind of where I went with it, the whole Satan thing. It's funny, there's a common source that a lot of us use to get into Sabbath, including me. I'll let Jarvis explain. Um, I don't know if anybody remembers Columbia House, but they had these these kind of music distributors back in the day, and they had these ads in magazines and stuff, or you can send away, and they give you this catalog and basically for one penny, you send them one penny, you can get 10 free albums. So I sent away a penny. That's I could afford that when I was 12 years old, a penny. Um, and they send you these stamps with the album covers. And so I picked, there were exactly, um, I think there was 10 Sabbath records there in the stamps. There was 10 stamps. So I just said, I'm just going to get all as many Sabbath records as I could get. So I got the first nine records and I got Heaven and Hell all sent to my doorstep in one nicely neat package. Um, yeah, it was interesting. At the time, there was no internet, so I did not know anything about when the albums came out or the order of them or, or anything like that. Um, I remember putting on the first record first. And, <laughs> man... I remember, I think I might have come home at night. I was playing at a friend's house or something. And at night, the the package was basically in my bedroom. And uh, my mom's like, you got this. I don't know. What the hell is this? You you get mail now? <laughs> you know. But uh, I played the first Black Sabbath record. And, and hearing the first song, Black Sabbath, I remember I had to close the blinds in my window because I was, I was just, I was afraid. Like, it scared the living shit out of me. But I loved it. I began listening to all the records. I really gravitated towards the first one. I had already known Paranoid, um, Master of Reality, Volume 4 I really got into, Sabotage, Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath. Kind of like, you know, I guess it's a good gauge of my musical taste at a young age. I kind of, I knew that those were the, the, the better of them. Another thing around that time is that my dad had always had this black Gibson SG guitar from the 60s. And he ended up giving me the guitar years after I was already playing in bands and stuff, which was really cool. And I used that guitar for a lot of things. And I still do. Um, But, you know, Tony Iommi had always played the Black SG. So I actually asked my dad, 
about this. And I said, you know, is there any kind of relation to Sabbath or why you got this guitar? And so he actually sent me a text and I'll read it here. He says, <clears throat> so this is in my, my father's words. It's definitely related to Black Sabbath. It was about 50 years ago because I got it shortly after the first Black Sabbath album came out. So I was about 15 or 16 years old. I was totally into the guitar tone of Iomi. One day, a few of us went to Hollywood to look through some music stores. I remember going into a small shop and seeing the SG hanging from the wall up high behind the counter. I knew right away that I had to have it, so I bought it on the spot. Unfortunately, I can't remember how much it cost, and I can't remember the name of the store. Well, actually, side note here, I think I still have the tag from this, and I think it was like $265. Um, I'll try and locate that for the subscribers. It had So my dad continues on. It had the black P90 single-coil pickups, which I wasn't crazy about because I wanted the humbucker tone of Tony Iommi. Anyway, I bought a pair of PAF humbuckers, this other guy who was in our band installed them for me, but he disagreed with my decision to do that because he was a single-coil fan. He played a Telecaster and was a big fan of Jimmy Page when he used to play a Tele. Yeah, I think Jimmy, side note, Jimmy Page, I think, played a Tele on the first Led Zeppelin record. Um, I digress. So my dad keeps going. So that's the story of why I got the SG. I tried to play it at church a while back, and didn't like the narrow neck. I prefer a fatter, wide neck now. But when I bought it, I love the skinny neck. So yeah, so my dad plays uh, in some church bands now. Plays rock in church bands. Kind of, kind of funny coming from the Sabbath era, but you know he does it well. And he's got a good group of people that he plays with now. So I'm honored to have that guitar. I'll take some photos, and I do know I still have the tag somewhere. I believe it's around $250 what he paid for it, which is crazy. So we'll throw that, those pictures up for the subscribers. But yeah, I mean, the I know Armand has an old 60s SG and has the single coils in it. And, you know, to get that fat Iomi tone, you know, I could be mistaken. I think Tony Iomi may have used um, single coils early on, or it may have been kind of like the... Um, like the Gretsch Filtertron stuff where it's kind of bright sounding. They're not single closer. I think they are humbucking pickups. So um, that's that story of, of that awesome guitar that I have. And thanks to Sabbath and thanks to my dad for keeping that for so long. You know, I'm 13 or something. I don't have any money to go out and buy records. So I would subscribe to these, the, uh, like Columbia House, BMI Music, where, you know, 12 CDs for a penny. You know, so I did a few of those, and I think that's how I got a lot of tapes and CDs uh, when I was coming up. Because, like, you know, paying, I guess at the time, probably a CD was about $12 or something, and, you know, it was kind of a lot of money in 1990 for a 13-year-old, you know. I could probably get one every month or something like that. But being able to order it from these guys' catalog and just be like, yeah, you know, pay for it later. I never really did. Maybe they'll find me one day. I don't know. But I got away with a lot. But hey, I learned about a lot of lot of cool music through those companies. So all three members of Night Demon discover Sabbath at an early age. And it's a life-changing event, especially for Jarvis, who owes his career in music in part to Black Sabbath. I remember the first time I saw Sabbath was at the second OzFest. I believe it was 1997. And um, my uncle had like a hookup at the arena and we got a box. So we got these box seats right next to the soundboard. It was so awesome that Scott Ian was from Anthrax was there at the show. I think he, Anthrax didn't play, but he had guested during the Pantera set and he came up during Sabbath set and asked us if he could sit in our box to watch the Sabbath show. And I was like, hell yes. And uh, he signed my ticket. I still have that. Um, and that was cool. And he was just, he was just rocking out and we were just so happy to see Sabbath finally. 
Uh, it was a great night. And I remember telling my dad that night, hey, this is what I want to do. This is what I'm going to do for a living. And he totally supported me. And, you know, 20 years later, Night Demon plays the OzFest. It's just at the same venue. Pretty surreal. Pretty surreal situation. I'm glad I stuck with that decision and thankful for my for my dad for supporting me through that through the years. Yeah, I used to sit in my bedroom with a little boombox and put those tapes on and just get my guitar out and just try to play along, you know, and have to rewind and go back until I get each little section kind of figured out. You know, sometimes you would get in those uh, guitar magazines, in the back of those magazines, there would be a tablature, which is like, it's a type of notation that's made for people that don't know how to read proper uh, music, you know, the notation. It uses um, numbers and like lines on a bar, on a graph that represent the strings, and then each number represents what number fret, starting from zero, which would be an open string, First fret, second fret, third fret, blah blah blah, as you can imagine, and shows you where you know where to put your fingers and all that. And so I, I would that would help sometimes with some of the more like complicated parts or you know things that you know aren't as clear on some of those records to be able to hear right. So that's kind of how I would learn stuff. So Black Sabbath has been a huge musical influence on me and the other two guys in the band for sure. Geezer Butler's style is amazing. In the early days, you can see him playing up really high on the neck with his right hand, so almost on the fretboard. Um, I think that might have had something to do with his strap being too long or something. Like He had the bass lung pretty low, which is fucking awesome. You know, being in a metal and a rock band, you always want to have your guitar low i mean it's just a cool thing slung low although playing higher is much more comfortable and easier um but tony kind of did that you know geezer had his bass slung low but him slapping his fingers on the fretboard on his right hand on his plucking hand that really created a cool sound and it's got this really woody tone and it has these kind of natural overtones when he does it and, you know, it's not slap bass. He's not slapping and popping like funk bass. But with the tuning being lower too, the strings are a lot lo- more loose and they're lighter. So it really had a lot to do with the sound that he created and was kind of almost a percussive thing that went really along with the drums. So when you talk about a rhythm section being bass and drums, there's no better rhythm section than Bill Ward and Geezer Butler. And... He really is playing a rhythmic instrument that has notes and tones on that bass when he plays that style. Yeah, he did start as a guitar player and switch to bass in Sabbath. Um, I think it did have an influence on him as a bass player, and I have the same exact story. I played guitar for many, many years in in many bands before I played bass, and I just kind of played it out of a necessity, and I started to play bass like a guitar player and realized how wrong I was doing it and focused more on my right-hand attack versus the dexterity of what I was doing with my left hand on the the fretting hand, on the the fretboard, and really just tried to be a steady bass player. Um, Like I mentioned before, Geezer, you know, playing all of, learning all the Sabbath songs, I mean, I really got to learn how to be a better, a better finger player on the bass. Um, although I still do prefer a pick. So um, I can get a lot of different attack out of a pick, but I switch back and forth in Night Demon, mainly with the pick, but there's some stuff I do with my fingers, and the more experimental we get, I'm sure I'll do more of that. Um, but really, I, I, I definitely have the same story, and I have the same relation. I'm a guitar player turned bass player, and it's definitely influenced my sound, and that's what makes... Night Demon what it is and we're kind of like we always say that the bass in Night Demon is kind of like a big guitar <laughs> so it's really cool um, it really helps with Armand and I playing together the best band to be the torch carriers of heavy metal really um, they you kind of picked a better four to introduce that sound they were wild party animals and they lived and breathed drug sex and rock and roll um, the epitome of what 
party animal band is like. Uh, the band taught me how to swing and shuffle and play heavy and hit super hard. Bill Ward and the drummers that followed all had to be monster players and, or, and able to you know be able to hang with the the beast that is Black Sabbath. So if you wanted to to have a representation of that band, you can't couldn't have somebody in the back just kind of tickling the drums. You had to really slam it. And I also learned a lot of, I mean, those records, those first two Sabbath records really taught me the style and how to play guitar because I, I learned every fucking riff, every solo. I mean, I, this is why I can play all those songs like front to back without even thinking about it these days because it's what I learned on, you know, it's a very, very, very big influence on me. Tony Iommi, you know, number one, number two for me, number one, forget number two. There is no number two. He is number one. What is up, Night Demon Heavy Metal Podcast listeners? This is your resident motor mouth, Jarvis Leatherby, telling you about something very, very special here. The Decibel Hall of Fame Anthology, Volume 3. This is a book, guys. That's right. We all know Decibel Magazine as the number one metal magazine in North America for many years running. But you know what? They also have a fucking killer book series, okay? I want to tell you about this. The Decibel Hall of Fame Anthology Volume 3. This limited edition hardcover includes 25 Hall of Fame stories from Decibel's revered monthly series of artist interviews on the making of their classic extreme music albums. Featured in this book are stories behind classic albums such as Staying Class by Judas Priest, Apocalyptic Raids from our good buddy Tom Warrior's Hellhammer, Pleasure to Kill from Teutonic German Terror Creator. Court in the Act from the legendary new wave of British heavy metal gods, Satan. And of course, Abigail from the legendary King Diamond. And last but not least, Night Demon's personal favorite, Heartwork. From the only other band from Liverpool, Carcass. So guys, please head on over right now to store.decibelmagazine.com and grab a copy to read the definite stories of Heavy Metal's definitive albums. Put in the promo code NIGHTDEMON upon checkout to receive 10% off. That's NIGHTDEMON, one word, all capital letters. Get your 10%, store.decibelmagazine.com. While you're there, guys, go ahead and grab a subscription of the Mag 2. They've got a great vinyl flexi series. Do yourselves a favor here. Get on the level. Store decibelmagazine.com promo code night demon the influence of sabbath is i say blatantly obvious um i think in my lead playing my solo playing i take a lot from myomi man i mean the the blues kind of stuff that he would play i just i just loved it just it just resonated with me so so deep that you know i'll even say oh hey i'm gonna do a sabbath i'm gonna do an iomi here you know and it's a certain type of lick that i would i could borrow from him you know a lot of things like double stop bends for you guitar players out there will know what i'm talking about for the layman out there um a good example of that is those things are like yeah they call those double stops when you bend one string to pitch to match another one but they're still a little bit off you know so it kind of makes this um you know dissonant sound i remember learning that from tony iomi's playing um, I think the influence of Sabbath on Night Demon's music is again obvious. I mean, what <laughs> what heavy metal band is not influenced by Sabbath? It's so crazy how big that band, how how important they are to heavy metal hard rock music. 
I mean, you could probably play any fucking band out there and I'll point out, oh yeah, that's a Sabbath influence right there, for sure. Guitar riffs. Um, I think for Night Demon, any, for me, obviously, if there's any kind of slower stuff, that would be the Sabbath influences, you know. Uh, probably the the most heavy influenced, like Sabbath influenced song that I can imagine, that I would say in the catalog of Night Demon would be Stranger in the Room. Um, those riffs, the vibe, the feel of that song is very Sabbath. version of kill the pain there's a total ode borrow rip off tribute to children of the grave that we ended up uh cutting out when we finally did the real version of the song It was pretty blatant when we were writing it. Like, yeah, that's Children of the Grave. But you know what? Who fucking cares? Put it in there. It'll make people smile. You know, that's the thing about music, man. It's not about like, you know, coming when I was growing up and learning how to write music and in earlier bands, you know, we were really conscious of like, oh man, I can't, you know, we got to write. Nothing can sound like anything else. But I think later on, you know, we get more mature with stuff and you kind of feel like the ego kind of goes away and it's like you can accept and, you know, it's, you know, I don't want to hide, you know, you don't have to hide your influences. It's okay. It's okay. Everybody says that they steal from everybody else or borrow, depending on how you want to put it. You know, as long as you, um, I think as long as you recognize the influence and don't try to say that, you know, you wrote that, that it wasn't influenced by anything. That's that's bullshit. So I don't mind. I think uh, for me, most of the influence that I get from him is in this solo playing and my solo playing. Um, I think that's where I draw most inspiration from. Because you know we're not, uh, you know we're not a like a doom band or a stoner band. So like the whole kind of like low, slow, kind of heavy riff thing you know we kind of stray away from because there's tons of bands that do that and it's overplayed and that's the that's the that's the bummer thing about having a band that's so influential is that you have so many bands that just take that influence and just drive it into the ground so it's almost like i don't even want to go there when we try to write you know but i guess maybe some of the there's more influence maybe for like the from uh, like Heaven and Hell or Mob Rules. You know, there's a bit more like heavy, faster kind of riff stuff that he did then that might have more of a thing in our music. Um, if you want to, again, go back to Stranger in the Room, that solo, that's that's me trying... What would Tony do? That's That's what that is. So you can go... Go listen to that. I'll go through it part by part here. The beginning of it 
you know, you have those double bends. And the solo alone, the way it starts. The lower riff that I play in the middle of the solo, I don't know, to me it's something that I think that Tony would play, whether it's something that I borrowed from a song. I mean, I can't really put my finger on it, but just stylistically and vibe-wise, to me, it's just all Tony. So I thank you for that one, Tony. And it's one of my favorite solos that I, I wrote, I've written for the band as well. One of the biggest things that I've took away from Black Sabbath, Tony Iommi's guitar playing is his acoustic stuff. That, to me, was some of the coolest shit I'd ever heard. Songs like Orchid. Stuff like on, you know, uh, Heaven and Hell, the ending of Heaven and Hell, the song. That really kind of like renaissance medieval sounding part at the end it's just fucking I love that stuff and you'll hear influences of that all over uh, the stuff that I did with Night Demon as a guitar player Empire's Fall I mean that middle section mentioned Metallica as being an influence in that stuff but obviously well where did they get it from Black Sabbath Tony Iommi the finger picked really cool double acoustic guitar I'm a huge fan of and that's always I've always tried to pull that into something wherever I I can you know so it's not something you would think right away that's like oh man that's heavy metal it's heavy but it's acoustic stuff but acoustic instruments can be just as heavy as a fucking Marshall Stack turned up to 11, you know? Hey guys, Jarvis jumping in here. I want to tell you about Shadow Kingdom Records. Shadow Kingdom was the first domestic label to release Night Demon on CD. They put out the EP in 2013, and they also released the vinyl version of Live Darkness. Listen, you guys need to get your ass to the Shadow Kingdom Records store, okay? Right now, they're offering 10% off for all Night Demon Heavy Metal podcast listeners. Just go to the website, put in the code NIGHTDEMON10. That's NIGHTDEMON10, all capital letters, NIGHTDEMON10. No spaces. Put that promo code in upon checkout to get 10% off. Right now, guys, they have the Bloodstar 7-inch which has sold over 1,500 copies, and these guys cannot hold on to it. So this next pressing, you want to get that before it goes out, okay? Also, it's SKR Compilation Volume 1. Guys, this is free on Bandcamp. They're giving it away for free. So not only are you going to go to ShadowKingdomRecords.com and put in the code, all capital letters, no spaces, NIGHTDEMON10 upon checkout, you're also going to go to their Bandcamp site and get this compilation for free. You're going to hear tons of fantastic fucking heavy metal. If you love us, you're going to love this label. Check it out. 
shadowkingdomrecords.com, put in the promo code NIGHTDEMON10 and receive 10% off of your entire order. Do it. So Black Sabbath has been a huge musical influence on me and the other two guys in the band for sure. Armand and I had played in a Sabbath tribute band called Warning with our buddy Tony Cicero on drums, who was the drummer of the hardcore band Saccharine Trust on SST Records back in the 80s. And our good friend Aaron Orbit was the singer who is now in Twin Temple. He's also got a solo career under Aaron Orbit. That is uh, mine and Jarvis's brainchild. We started that, I think it was my 30th birthday. If I'm not mistaken, you know, a thing that I would do a lot on my birthdays is like, what do you want to do for your birthday? Oh, I want to do a band. Let's do this cover band or let's, let's throw this together, you know, and like let's throw a show. Let's have a show. I want to play, you know. So... I always, you know, I fucking knew all the Black Sabbath stuff inside and out. I learned a lot of my guitar playing came from learning those songs and everything. So it was a no-brainer. Another no-brainer, easy, let's do it. So we booked it, and funny enough, I had I didn't have an SG guitar at the time. Jarvis had one that his dad had given to him. It was actually an an old one from the 60s. It's a fucking great guitar. And I was using that when we were rehearsing, like under the assumption that I would play that. But of course, you know, I've been kind of looking around and I found an SG on Craigslist like the week before the show. And it was a 70s SG and it had the P90s, something very Tony Iommi, like early Iommi style. And the guy wanted like a thousand bucks for it and I showed up with 800 bucks and he went for it and I got it like the week of the show and it was fucking just perfect and we did it and it went off without a hitch it became one of the most like popular like kind of cover band things that I've ever been involved in especially around this area because we just did it so well you know we knew the stuff so well everybody in the band knew the material so well that when we would play People would always say they closed their eyes and it was like seeing Sabbath in a fucking pub in 1969 or something. There was one time where Tony Cicero couldn't make a gig for warning, and we played at the Slide Bar in Fullerton, California. And um, Dustin, Dusty had filled in for him, which I thought was really cool. And this was before, I believe this was before he was in Night Demon, and that means that was before Armand was in Night Demon. Yeah, the Sabbath Tribute Band. Um, I actually played one gig with the Sabbath tribute because the drummer that they had, uh, Tony Cicero, he couldn't make the gig for some reason. I don't know if he was double booked or something. And uh, I ended up getting the gig and it was early on. I wasn't even a Night Demon yet. And I just remember, 
it must have been maybe 2012 or so, we played the slide bar. I remember we were playing Black Sabbath, the title track, and I was like just like riding the floor toms all heavy in the verse where it's all moody and just, you know, those notes are ringing out on the guitar, you know, the devil chords and all that or the devil notes. And uh, it was a restaurant slash venue and somebody had eaten before the show and they had left their plate on the table and the bass was rumbling and during the quiet section in the verse, the plate fell off the table and smashed when it was pretty quiet during the song and kind of like spooked everybody and it was a really cool moment. And uh, I just remember having a blast playing those Sabbath songs, Bill Ward's swing and groove and power and attack and... Um, creativity um, is difficult to mimic and difficult to pull off. Um, so I learned a lot from that and made me a better drummer all around. But he did a really good job, and that was a good precursor of as you know what was to come. It's so great to play in a band with a drummer as, as good as him. His dedication to it is so awesome, and he really did his homework for the Sabbath stuff. And a lot of people might say, Hey, it's not that difficult because if you're a metalhead and you love Sabbath and you know Sabbath and you play an instrument, you should know how to play all that stuff. Well, yeah, I mean, he knew the songs, but really with Bill Ward's style, there's so much going on there. There's so much crazy stuff. There's like a heavy jazz influence too. So, I mean, it's not like just getting through the songs and he really wanted to nail it and he really put the work in for one gig. And it was it was really cool. It was cool to have him do that. But that's what we were about. We were all about doing deep cuts, the B sides. You know, obviously you got to do the the main songs and all that that everybody wants to hear. But our like we were kind of would show our musical prowess by doing songs like Wicked World. So all the members of Night Demon are very familiar with playing Sabbath live. Aside from the tribute band Warning, which is more of a fun kind of side project, Night Demon as a band have covered Sabbath many times. We've played a lot of gigs, Night Demon. (laughs) Um, One of the things that we like to do, I mean, we we do these cover gigs sometimes when we're on big tours and we're playing early, like an opening slot, and... There's a high ticket price, and when we're in countries like Spain or Italy or maybe even Mexico or South America, I mean, we always try and give the fans that don't have the money to come see us an opportunity to see the band. So oftentimes, especially on that Accept tour in Europe, we would book bars right around the corner from the shows, and when we were done with our gig, we'd have our crew move the gear over there. By the time the show was over... We would set up there and just have a free gig for people, an after show kind of thing, and do all covers because we didn't want to cheat the people that actually did buy tickets and, you know, kind of play the same set again or play a bunch of Night Demon originals. So we just have these fun cover nights. Um, I remember even one time in Greece, we on an off night, we just did a cover show and that was really cool. But um, one of the songs that we play a lot is War Pigs. Destruction Sorcerer of 
death construction In the fields the bodies burning As the war machine keeps turning Dustin would trigger the samples for the songs. We we still had the samples there from in the same sampler from the days of warning, and we had that air raid siren in there. And I think it. I think Dusty may have hit it on accident during a sound check once somewhere, and we ended up just playing it at sound check, which was really cool. Um, and that kind of gave us the idea to do it live. So we did do it quite a few times. And it always went over really well. And I think as a three-piece, we we do it pretty well. I mean, Sabbath is a three-piece band musically, but you have this animated front man out there. And, um, you know, since I'm tied to a bass, that can't happen. But um, that's always a really fun one to do live. I remember we did do Children of the Grave in Netherlands on the Accept Tour um, at the sound check. <laughs> I don't know if we ever did it live. I think we may have done it live, actually, but I remember specifically doing that during the sound check. Um, another thing that we would do, I think we talked about this on the Live Darkness episodes, but live, we like to sometimes do medleys of our songs or have segues. And for a time, we were doing... Um, in the shorter sets, we would do Save Me Now, where we would do the intro, the first verse, and the first chorus only. And after the first chorus, where it goes, soul is going to burn in flames. That riff, I don't know, subliminally, I may have ripped this off, but it's pretty much the that riff of Into the Void. So after that, we would we would after the save me now first course we would go into the intro of into the void Thank you. 
And right when it's going to kick into the verse, we would cut to Mastermind and Dusty would give the four count. And I think that's something we may bring back into the set. It was just a really cool thing and a really cool quick tribute to Sabbath. I love that. Keep in mind that there's full live videos of all of these live clips that you're hearing on nightdemon.net in the subscriber section. Now, if you're lucky enough to have a copy of the Black Widow 7-inch single, you've probably heard the B-side, Turn Up the Night. It's also available on the expanded edition of the Darkness Remains compact disc and streaming on nightdemon.net. It's a Dio-era Sabbath tune, and I think it's pretty cool that out of all the Sabbath songs in the catalog, the guys in Night Demon chose to give some love to this era of Sabbath with this cover. Turn Up the Night. That was a song that we had been talking about for a long time since the days when Brent was even in the band. We had not attempted it at all, though, since Armand got in the band. Uh, Mob Rules is one of my favorite Sabbath records, and that song is is highly underrated. It's so hard to find a live track of that song. I think we found a bootleg of it once that sounded terrible, but I don't think the band really played it much, and Dio wasn't in the band long enough, I think, for that to become a, a classic because the Sabbath machine kind of kept rolling after he was out. And then when he came back, they did so much great stuff. I don't think they ever brought that into the set. But, you know, that's cool because a lot of the Sabbath stuff, I mean, it's just, it's basically the Bible for most metalheads. And so, I mean, who wants to hear another cover of Paranoid or or Neon Knights or Iron Man? You know, I mean, being able to do Turn Up the Night was really good and, and it, and it definitely fits the, the Night Demon sound.
Uh, for me, it was a you know an easy one to do, uh, no brainer. A little more of an up tempo thing, which you know fits Night Demon. Again, heavy riffs, just that chugging. Pretty cool song, man. I I would say right off the bat, I, I wouldn't have thought that that was one of my favorites. But the more and more we've played it and then deconstructing it and learning it and playing it and recording it, it has now become one of my you know, top, I don't know, man. It's hard to say top what with Sabbath. It's like a top 20, you know, top 50. Fuck. Because I love it all. I mean... Sure, there's a lot of players that are faster than Iomi, more technically, you know, precise, shit like that. But did they write Children of the Grave? Did they write the Rift to Into the Void? Did they write Iron Man? No, they didn't. And those are the heaviest fucking riffs known to man. I mean, they are really the true godfathers of heavy metal. They took such a large leap between anything that came before it. And still, when you listen to it, I know a lot of stuff is down-tuned these days and music has gotten very extreme, but that doesn't mean that it's heavier. And I don't think that there's anything heavier than the song Black Sabbath. I mean, really, with the devil's tritone, the notes that were selected, the just the heaviness of all of it, the sound... The, the weight of it all, they are the godfathers of heavy metal. One of the major influences of the band, for sure, um, I'd say probably for all bands in the rock and metal genre, who hasn't heard of Black Sabbath and who hasn't dissected their catalog? Everybody from the dawn of Black Sabbath's time was influenced by the band, even when they were current and in blazing the trail their songwriting their energy their artwork the mystique their power presence they were pioneers and it's obvious in what you hear from the band everything done right and without any handbook on how to do it it flowed naturally and it translates and it stands the test of time bands that are just getting started nowadays are still learning from Black Sabbath. And I think that'll happen forever, as long as bands are around on this planet. Black Sabbath is going to be a major influence. So that's it for this Black Friday, Black Sabbath special. Uh, Once I got these guys talking about Black Sabbath, I quickly realized I had way too much material for one episode. So I'm going to record a second bonus Sabbath episode only for subscribers on nightdemon.net where the band discusses their favorite Sabbath songs, their top fives, some underrated songs, and their opinions on Ronnie James Dio and his era of Sabbath, some of the later albums in the Sabbath discography, pictures of Armand's guitar and that sweet SG that Jarvis's dad gave him. We've got pictures and live videos of Warning, the Black Sabbath tribute band. Uh, it's pretty cool. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Until next week, this is Nesbitt signing off. Thanks for listening to the Night Demon Heavy Metal Podcast. Head over to nightdemon.net, click on the subscriber tab, and sign up to access exclusive weekly bonus content. If you would like to donate to support the Night Demon Heavy Metal Podcast, you can do so through PayPal at paypal.me slash nightdemonmetal. Additionally, if you have not already done so, please subscribe, like, rate, and review the show on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Unbearable suspense keeps you on the edge of an abyss of terror. Take a cult film odyssey into cinemadness with Cinematic Void. 
Based in Los Angeles, Cinematic Void is a film series that specializes in horror and exploitation films. Currently, we are hosting Cinematic Void Up All Night in the Cinemanus Movie, a monthly virtual screening series, as well as the Cinematic Void Podcast, where we dive deeper into the world of cult cinema. You can find Cinematic Void on the World Wide Web at cinematicvoid.com, as well as Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you like what we do, you can support Cinematic Void by joining our Patreon. Until next time, see you in the void.